Hello, I'm Leila McKenzie, and this is Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the fortnightly podcast where I interview the most inspirational and successful thought leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help educate, motivate, inspire others to make the world a better place. On this episode of Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, we are joined by the wonderful David Morrow from Nespresso over in the USA, in New York, to be precise, where we will be discussing a number of key subjects, including being an expat abroad, the difference of leadership cultures, and also navigating the corporate landscape of a global multinational business. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Leila. Good talking to you and thank you very much for having me as a guest. No worries at all. And thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And for all of our listeners, just to give you um, a little background on David's experience, he's formerly had a wealth of experience within the FMCG arena, very multicultural and international. He's currently serving as a vice president for Nespresso in New York, focusing on the marketing side. He has a demonstrated history of working within the luxury and the CPG industry. His experience spans marketing, management, customer insight, market planning, fast-moving consumer goods, and consumer products. He's educated from the University of Buckingham, where he has a Bachelor's of Business Administration and a a plethora of marketing and commercial-related leadership qualifications in addition. David is actually an Italian living over in the States, so I'm really, really keen to, uh, to speak with him today to find out a little bit more about his unique perspective and diverse lens that he holds on the world, having moved from a number of different places before winding up in New York. So, David, I know I've summarized for our listeners in a nutshell, um, would love to, to kind of hear a small take from your side about some of the work that you have done and how you have made it to the magnificent place you are in your career today. Thank you, Leila, for the nice introduction. I uh... I had a, an extensive experience living in different countries. I've been working mainly for two companies throughout my career, Unilever to start with, and then Nestle in, in various different positions afterwards. I um, started working in, in Italy, where I'm from, from Milan, then moved to Switzerland, and then Mexico, and then in the U.S., where I spent the last 10 years between Los Angeles and New York. So I would say that also, as you mentioned, I did, did my university in England. So one thing that really characterizes me is um, basically being outside of Italy since uh, my studies. And um, that makes me what people now say a global citizen. Applied uh, a lot of the learning, of course, also at work uh, by adjusting in, in new cultures and um, learning the way of working in, in different countries. So. I know that a big passion of yours is diversity and inclusion. So definitely this is something that is close to my heart in terms of my my values and uh, my leadership style. So happy to, to jump in into it today as we as we continue our conversation. <laughs> Fantastic. And I must ask, you know, clearly you've had so much experience getting to where you are today, at least of all um, for our listeners. I know that uh, you sent me a picture of yourself with, uh, with George Clooney the other day, which I thought was amazing. So <laughs> aside of actually meeting George Clooney and kind of having this wonderful career where, um, you know, you're meeting with celebrities and 
you know, navigating the different facets of kind of management and leadership. What have kind of some of the highs and lows been for you? You know, do you remember specifically where there's been a moment in your career where you thought, wow, I've really, really made it now, you know, and this is success for me. And maybe, you know, as well, tell me about some of the some of the lows, if there have been some. I'm sure it's been an emotional roller coaster moving from place mm-hmm. to place and, and, and role to role throughout the career. Well, we get to hear many times that failures are essential for learning. And I do believe in that, uh, although I'm humble about it because um, those who can actually talk about failures and trying to um, start something again or being persistent most of the times are, are entrepreneurs which start their own businesses and they most most of the time they have the most fascinating stories but also when working in a bigger organizations like like the one i've been working so far you do go through your own learning and i would say that most of the times they're related to people and uh, the way you engage with people and the way you lead people because organizations normally have protection to some extent in terms of the the risk of a business Mm -hmm. decision right and so what you're really exposed to as a a leader is how you're actually are able to include other people in your in your goals and your vision and and, uh, you are able to make them work and be productive and so definitely i had my eyes and lows i uh, one thing that comes to my mind is when I moved from Switzerland to Mexico and I had to basically adjust quickly to a new culture, it, it took about a year to really understand how to work well uh, there. And um, they call in Mexico people who uh, understand each other better, uh, people who can feel the vibration, the vibra, which to me sounded a bit strange <laughs> in the beginning. And but it literally means that you need to let go sometimes of your belief and find a place where you're in tune with others. And so once once you get that level of trust within a new culture, then everything is easier. And so this is a classic situation of embracing change and uh, really not just in embracing diversity, but doing a proactive effort to to fit in and to be inclusive. And, and the work starts with yourself by understanding how to put aside your beliefs, your, your, your learnings and really understand and uh, feel also what other people value in a different place where you live. And so Mexico has been a very big learning because it's, um, it's a good country to work in. It's growing, it's very young, very dynamic, with a lot of people that are willing to do the extra mile to make things happen. In a way, Mexico is the future versus, uh, you know, some older European countries where even harder to find new generations like in Mexico. And so I don't know if I would call it a low, but I did have a few experiences where I set up teams in a way that I thought would work, like I did back in the past in Europe. And then once I understood um, how to you know, deal with the new culture, I reshuffled my own beliefs and uh, prioritize what people really care about. And I learned to listen and then rebuilt the way the team was supposed to work and understood that after, let's say, 18 months being there. And then it was obviously much better and we worked better together. So, you know, one learning is to not just carry your belief from one place to another when you travel the world. You need to really take the time to understand, adjust, and then find the mix between what works you know, and then in your career, what worked before, but also really listen to the local, the local new reality and, and make some adaptive changes. 
in, in line with what people want. So it's really kind of releasing those shackles, releasing those former beliefs yeah. that may have held from your home country or other places that you've worked and feeling yeah. the vibra and listening and embracing those current situational mm-hmm. beliefs to build that trust. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, for you, what is great leadership? Clearly, the trust and the listening element is very important to you. And that's really kind of coming across. But what does great leadership look like for you? And have there been any examples in your career where you've really noticed yeah. some fantastic leadership examples or skills? Well, you, you probably hear, Leila, that sometimes people refer to old management style or leadership style versus new leadership style, more in line with the millennials and more in line with diversity. And I, um, the diversity needs that there are in place today versus maybe back in time. I believe that today, to be a good leader, you need to show, first of all, the commitment a commitment that is not just uh, work-related, but the commitment to stick to your values, right? And so speaking about diversity, just the same theme, um, within the theme, it's great to see leaders that are personally committed to diversity and inclusion, and they take personal stands about that, and they're not just being compliant. Mm-hmm. And to be successful in doing that, you, uh, the, the leaders that I admire the most are those that have courage, and to me, courage is the uh, humbleness about understanding your, your capability as, a, as an individual and invite others' contribution, right? So that you just listen and you are really setting aside your belief and you are welcoming other input for the betterment of the organization, for the betterment mm-hmm. for the decision. And I would say curiosity is essential, right? So having an open mindset always Going into a conversation with the eagerness to understand something new versus going into a conversation for the sake of answering the questions. And all these three characteristics, therefore the commitment, the courage, and the curiosity, is what I notice the best to be the best virtues for in leadership. And um, in the end, the best leaders I've seen are those that are really able to bond. And I don't mean to be just nice because ultimately you need to take decisions, but you need to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else to really understand what matters. And then the decision that you finally drive is really shared and understood by people who work close to you. So, yeah, that to me is more than true leadership versus obviously taking top-down decisions or not explaining why. Mm-hmm. And I must ask, David, I know that I haven't asked you this before, but um, if not yeah. now, then when, hey, is you're really such a, a passionate individual. And I've obviously had the pleasure of getting to know you over the course of, of maybe the last couple of years. But this intrinsic drive that you have and this passion, I wonder sometimes whether part of that is the Italian passion in you. But has this been um, something that you have developed from being a young child you know was there within your family this hard work ethic and have there been any experiences that you've had personally when you were younger that you think have shaped where you are today specifically i do think um, that leadership is a combination of something that you inherit but also something they can learn there are books of leadership and don't have the final answer I do believe that most of the times you can learn to be an effective leader, but the true charismatic ones uh, have something that maybe come along with their childhood. And 
by no means I'm trying to say I have all those characteristics. But, you know, one thing that I, I must say it helped me, and like any people of my generation, I would say, I was born in the early 70s, is that we, we were growing up having real conversations with people, right? And so you just really learn, depending also on the parents you grow up with and the schools and the teachers to have true exchanges, true positive conflict. And you basically learn to have coherent and sustainable conversations with others. And what scares me, Leila, today is that, at least in the U.S., one-third of the teenagers, according to uh, a recent article I read, send an average of 100 messages a day. Wow. And most of the times they send messages, yeah, most of the times they send messages with friends they know. So imagine that they just learn how to communicate most of the times with people they know, and they basically relate with a screen. So by no means I'm saying we need to fight against technology. I think technology is there to make our life better, but we need to, you know, encourage a real conversation. People need to learn how to talk. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but definitely... Of course, it makes absolute sense. Something I grew up with is, is this ability to basically connect and then being assertive and sustain my belief. And I, I was just developed in an environment that really fostered that a lot. And so for me, it was easier than also for personal characteristics to translate that into passion and beliefs in what I do. And for me, it's not complicated to <laughs> to push or to relate with others at work. Let's put it this Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Those personal conversations. And I, I completely concur with you. I, I scare myself sometimes with the fact that I'm on my phone first thing in the morning, last thing at night. And you think, oh my goodness, you know, I, <laughs> you know, actually sitting in front of a human being face to face is absolutely key. That's the way that human beings were meant to communicate with one another. So it's quite phenomenal how things are changing. Yes. And so for you, having those personal long-term yes. relationships is very important. Making sure that the communication remains open Mm. and direct with one another. Yeah, some of the values I grew with and then some of the self-imposed disciplines I try to maintain when I'm, when I'm at work. Again, going back to the point of working with people, leading people and respecting people, I would suggest anyone to just follow four or five basic rules. One is to avoid multitasking and be present. I know it's difficult, but I go to meetings and I don't have any phone put on the table as much as possible at least. And then I try to enter each conversation thinking that I want to learn something. Buddha, it's a Buddha actually, I think a phrase that said, if your mouth is open, it means you're not learning. <laughs> so, you know, the importance of basically listening, right? And the fact that you are going into a conversation with this humbleness to think, I'm going to learn something today. And then one thing that I try to do also as much as possible is to go with the flow and uh, mm -hmm. not going with um, preconstituted ideas into, into a meeting. So these are some of the things I share with you that could be useful. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. That worked for me. Let's put it this way. So really listening, resisting the temptation to be multitasking and being on various different devices at the same time. Um, I love the quote that you said, if your mouth is open, then you're not learning. <laughs> I love that. Just another couple of quick questions that I had for you, David. I hope you don't yeah. mind. But, you know, really interesting learning about, you know, kind of, you know, what diversity and inclusion means mm -hmm. to you. But what would you say is your secret to success? I know it's a rather big question, but it seems mm -hmm. to me D&I features a, a lot in everything that you've said. Do you think that your secret to success has been impacted by D&I? 
and any specific factors around you? Sure. So, well, let's start with DNI and um, then how I applied it and um, things that helped me also for being successful. The way I treat DNI is by thinking that diversity is a fact and uh, inclusion is a behavior. So, you know, when you think of some of the statistics in the US, 50% of the US population are women, but yet their potential is way underutilized. The statistics about women being member of a board of a CEO is way, the, the number is way lower than men. You know, there are plenty of articles demonstrating that um, there was one recent one I read about from McKinsey that there is a, an overachievement of better performance of 35% of multi-ethnical teams working together, right? And then mm-hmm. things like, you know, knowing that the 83% of millennials are more engaged in cultures that foster diversity. So these are all facts. And I would say that the very first thing at the minimum you have to be keeping in mind is the fact to be aware. Okay, so that's the very first step when it comes to diversity. Be aware, inform yourself about the basic foundational pieces of information that apply to either the country you live in or even at a global level. And then inclusion. Well, inclusion is something that, in my opinion, starts even far away from the notion of diversity. Inclusion is a behavior that you learn with people in general, right? But if you want to apply it specifically to diversity, I would say that, you know, the basic foundational inclusive behavior you need to have is to be fair. The common ground is to allow everyone to have the same chances and uh, be treated in the same way. I would say then that connection is very important, you know, the making sure that people working with you feel valued and they're connected, they're working well together. And then I would say that not in a specific order, but they feel safe and also empowered. So easier said than done, but <laughs> I believe that the behavior of inclusiveness starts with some discipline when I talked about awareness, starts with some foundational behaviors like being fair, and then the rest is really motivational. You know, this helped me because you start with something that you need to know, and so you start by studying, you start by being aware about what are the basics you need to learn. And then all the rest are a lot of leadership and behavioral learning that you either went through in life or you have still had to go through in life. And so to me, you know, your question was, what's the recipe to be successful? Yes. Well, there isn't. But one thing that I would say is, it all comes down to what we mean by success, of course, right? But, oh boy, I mean, without being too obvious and boring with the examples and thinking of life, I try to steer away from big businessmen like Steve Jobs or, or others like, like him, but think more of some politicians and really the one that to me is the one that is inspiring is Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Be- because failure was really something that made him who he was and how he's remembered, right? And luckily there were a couple of good movies lately about him and books. So Absolutely. it's um, information that it's even <laughs> refreshing for, for people who are not really close to what, it, what the man did. But, um, you know, he was aware of all the miscalculations or some poor judgments he had in terms of, uh, you know, wars before before resisting to the Nazis. And then his persistence made him what he was. And so it, it is true that persistency and failure, those two things together, normally can make you a better leader. It depends on the environment you're working in, but normally those two things really make you a better person in general. 
it makes you more sensitive to others. You have more experience. You know how to evaluate the context in a different way each time. And so I would say that I have not met a great leader who didn't go through, you know, failures mm -hmm. to the point that I don't even know if you can consider those experiences failures or you know, maybe just learning or things. Okay. We like to put labels, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think the secret is to success is, is failure. So if I have to give you a simple answer. And just another couple of quick questions, I promise, before I let you go. You've obviously had a remarkable career, littered with many successes, least of all, um, you know, the management and, and driving increase in profit and market shares, um, you know, across the board for Nespresso. But tell me, has there been a specific time where you feel you have failed as a leader or in general and how that has made you a better person when coming out of that again? Yeah, and um, when I was in Mexico, an example of a failure I had was to set up a team in the wrong way in the beginning to pursue the goals that we had. I was leading the beverage business and I wasn't really understanding the local needs, the local culture, the local reality. And I wanted to apply some of the learning I had from previous experiences. You know? And I was younger, of course, that matters. And I was partially blind. So the, the failure was really a lack of trust from the team, the team I was working on. And then I would also say that, you know, we had some, <laughs> some KPIs in terms of the business that weren't really doing great. So I remember, you know, pulling, stepping back and doing workshops with my team. And I had no options that really, that really admitting to myself that I was, I was wrong. And uh, I had nobody to tell me I was wrong. I was just, you know, not liked in that context. So I, I came to terms with the reality that I had to change. Mm -hmm. And by having constant communication with the same people of the team, by the way, plus an additional uh, two or three people that joined the team afterwards, we really, we really had a turnaround as a team and, uh, and as a business result. So I know it's a bit generic, but this is, you know, years ago but i like to mention examples with people and management of people and um, more than thinking about a single business decision and uh, the facts around the, the business because ultimately what drive those things are people so i go right at the heart of it and share that experience with you so in summary people have been at the heart of absolutely everything that you have done sure. um, and what i'm really getting from you is the is the real requirement to be able to listen and to respect others to try your best to be fair uh, to not multitask mm -hmm. especially in this crazy modern world where there's data and technology everywhere but to sometimes take a step back and perhaps look at how we can embrace the change or feel the vibra, as they say, in Mexico, and to try and consider things from other people's point of view and from, you know, from almost in their shoes. That's right. You mentioned before as well um, what I love. If your mouth is open, then you're not learning. And I think that's something that all of our listeners, mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully take away with them, you know, right. as well as the uh, as this consistent kind of curiosity and desire to, to keep on learning, really. That's right. That's right. Absolutely right. Thank you. That's a good summary, I would say. <laughs>
Good stuff. <laughs> well, I think we're coming to the end of our time for today. But um, David, I want to thank you so, so much for very kindly being on one of my first ever podcast series. Uh, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. And I think that um, all of our listeners and certainly I ha- have, have learned something. To everyone who is listening, um, if you would like to connect with David or ask him any further questions about management, leadership or cultural awareness, please do reach out to him via LinkedIn. Or what I will do is put a note into the podcast show notes for today. You can visit www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast. I'm Leila McKenzie and you are listening to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Mm-hmm.